1: flame,
2: the hottest podcast on the internet
1: that was uh that was a really nice video actually holding on to yesterday the song is by ambrosia and uh nice job sean dwyer i gotta give you a like on that brother nice visuals really nice visual ambrosia um an interesting band in the canon of (laughs) Rot-Yak. Yacht-Rock. Rot-Yak. Some people might feel that way about it, especially some people in chat. Um, Let's take a little look at uh, Ambrosia here, the band. They have an interesting story. They were one of these bands, I think, that that was cultivated, right? They were brought together by... I think they're brought together by, um, I, I think, I guess they're organic. There was another group I get them confused with. So let's do a little quick history of Ambrosia who started off as kind of a, a bit of a prog rock band and then morph into something completely different. Okay. So here we go. Um, Ambrosia's American rock band formed in Los Angeles in 1970. Ambrosia had top uh, 5 top 40 singles, hit singles released between 1975 and 1980, including the top 5 hits "How Much I Feel the Biggest Part of Me" and top 20 hits "You're the Only Woman You and I Hold On To Yesterday." Most of the original band members have been active with the group for over 30 years to the present day with the notable exception Of the original lead vocalist and guitarist, David Pack, who uh, I guess he left in 2000, Ambrosia currently tours internationally and has worked in the past and present with Leonard Bernstein, Kurt Vonnegut Jr., Alan Parsons, Bruce Hornsby, Bill Champlin, Michael McDonald, and Peter Beckett. Bill Champlin was a member of the Champlin brothers and a guy who wrote a ton of Yacht yacht Rock tunes. Bill Champlin and David Foster and Jay Graydon used to work hand in glove with a lot of stuff. Uh, Let's see. Let's go a little bit deeper into Ambrosia. The group was founded as a uh, quartet with guitarist David Pack, bassist Joe Puerta, keyboardist Christopher North, drummer Burley Drummond, It's a great name for a drummer, by the way. Don't you think Burley Drummond? According to Joe Puente, uh, their original name was Ambergris Might. It's a good thing they changed her name. That's a shitty name. But after doing some touring, they discovered there was already a band using the name Ambergris. How about that? So they turned the dictionary and picked the name Ambrosia because a name meaning nectar of the gods, seem fitting. That's when people actually use dictionaries, by the way. While Ambrosia had several radio hits in the 1970s, much of the material on their five albums is progressive in nature. So they kind of start off as a uh, progressive rock band. They're out of San Pedro, and their uh, influences are Beach Boys, Jimmy Reed, King Crimson, and The Beatles. Ambrosia fused uh, symphonic art rock with a slickly produced pop sound resulting in a melodic prog style. Early on, the group was uh, infatuated with the Stills National and began to experiment with vocal harmonies. That's what they're known for. They're known for their vocal harmonies. Whoops, let's go back here. We got a, Houston, we got a problem. Whoops. There we go. It's really weird. My my track pad on the computer in this physical location is like sticky, weird. Everywhere, everywhere else in the house it's fine. Uh, Ambrosia auditioned for Herb Albert and A&M Records early in their history but were signed by 20th Century Fox Records in 1975 who released two albums by the group. Their first album the eponymous Ambrosia produced by uh, Freddie Pirro was released in February of 1975, it spawned the top 20 chart single, Holding On to Yesterday, which we just played, as well as Nice, Nice, Very Nice, a song that I love, by the way. It's one of my, that's in my top 100 because the, the lyrics come from Kurt Vonnegut. Um, the latter sets to uh, music, the latter sets to music the lyrics of a poem. In Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle, the album was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Engineered Recording, other than classical. Alan Parsons of the Alan Parsons Project, the same guy who, I believe, uh, mastered or engineered the Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon record, was on this record as well, um, which was recorded soon after Ambridge's first album. David Pack later appeared on the Alan Parsons album. Try Anything Once, co-writing, playing, and providing vocals on three songs. So nice crossover there between Ambrosia and Alan Parsons. And uh, uh, this is a band that made a very interesting crossover from their kind of early proggy roots and moving into what we would later call uh, Yacht Rock territory. Very interesting band. Um. So, Ambrosia is one of those groups that does carry the yacht rock moniker, but there are people who are actually into more s- serious forms of music, like progressive rock, who um, who like them. Anyway, just thought I'd play one of their tracks today. All right, uh, let's uh, let's talk about today's show. Welcome to it. This is Fifteen Minutes of Flame. I'm Robert Phoenix. And we should be streaming live also on Rumble. If you're on the Rumble side of things, welcome. And if you are listening on the podcast, which you will hear after the fact, always appreciate always appreciate the listens. And we are growing really well on the podcast on the, uh, side of things, the podcast side of things. Let me just give you a breakdown on the podcast side. Uh, so we just dropped... Episode 100 on the 18th, which is pretty cool, right? Episode 100 on the 18th, and we have had 9,952 downloads on the podcast site since we started in February, and um, we've got how many days left in this month? 11 days. So everything has been up and to the right, and we've got 11 days to eclipse our best month, which is uh, June last month. Um, So everybody who listens on the uh, podcast side of things, thanks for doing that. I'm glad you're enjoying the ability to connect and listen and not just have to be here. But you can be here, though. We're really taking off on the uh, Apple podcast side of things, which is cool. So in May, we hit a big peak on Apple with 722 listens for the entire month. And here we are in July, and we're 20 days in, and we're almost at 600. So it looks like this could be uh, the, the best month for... The Apple Podcast side of things, which means that people are finding it. So that is by far the the largest source of listens, and then we get into the embedded player, which I always do my best to put on the website after the show. And that's been a so the the it's been interesting watching how the embedded player and Apple are kind of going in a different direction. I know I'm getting a little stat wonky here, but the embedded player, the height was in April, and it was at 791 plays. And the Apple player for the same, or the iTunes player for the same month was 375. So it was double on the embed side. And this month they've actually switched places. It's just interesting watching how these things evolve and how people find material, discover material, and disseminate it. Well, welcome to the show. We're going to talk about two events that happened recently. Uh, yesterday, apparently, there was an explosion, a fire and explosion at the Hoover Dam. And I actually talked about the Hoover Dam on the Sunday night show. It was really it was one of those weird moments because Lady Artemis had sent me a, uh, a text and she said, the Hoover Dam just blew. I'm like, holy shit. Or the Hoover Dam just exploded. And then the first thing that came into my head was, did I talk about the Hoover Dam on Sunday night? And then uh, the Doomer Boomer sent me a text on Twitter And she said, did not you talk about the Hoover Dam on Sunday night? And I actually did, which is weird. And I tried to find it in the, in the stream from Sunday. I don't always like to go back and listen to my streams every now and then I do for quality control, but there are other times where I don't, I'm like, eh, so I don't want to have to listen to myself talk for two hours, which is, you know, it is what it is. Um, and I tried to find the exact clip, but I couldn't find it. But I know that I was talking about it. And what I, what I was talking about was the Hoover Dam exploding. And I was I was looking at like a, a an aspect or a transit that was going on. But I, I got my geography mixed up a little bit because Henderson and Las Vegas are actually behind the Hoover Dam. Like they're, I guess, upriver. So if the dam broke and the waters broke, that would mean that in my scenario, those towns getting flooded would not happen. So just a geographical connection or correction in my head. And uh, yet, right, something happened. So that's interesting. And Lake Mead is connected to, the Hoover Dam. So if Lake Mead has outlived its usefulness, which it certainly seems like they're doing everything in their power to uh, drain Lake Mead, create the atmospheric conditions uh, to evaporate Lake Mead, then what use will they have for Hoover Dam? We're going to get into that today. And some of the building around Hoover Dam and some of the esoteric components around Hoover Dam that uh, lend itself to, uh, for all intents and purposes, the staging of an occult ritual, which a lot of other people have looked at. So I'm not going to plant my flag in the ground and say, you know, here I am. So some of which, some of the stuff I'm going to bring in that I've actually scouted around, right? And, but there are other things that people don't know. And I just stumbled across an interesting factoid with the Hoover Dam today that I'm going to show you uh, and it has to do with when they placed the first transformer for Hoover Dam. So we're going to get into that today. We're also going to take another look at this mall shooting in Greenwood, which is being kind of swept under the rug because they're trying to get as much mileage out of the, out of this as possible, but It's not really, it's not, it's, it's not what they had hoped for. And I'm going to get into that today a little, as much as I can in the next, uh, next hour of the show. Anyway, welcome. And you know that we always have a little bit of business to take care of at the beginning of the show. So let's take a look at our friend Lisa here, thanks to your votes and your, uh, interest in her project, I believe she is in first place. I voted today. I think she's in first place now. I'm pretty sure she's in first place. Let me see if I can do this. now here's the deal i sound like biden here's the deal i know she's in first place This saying, with with her climbing the capricornian pyramid to her ascent and singing at the hollywood bowl is going to last till september think of it as like the uh you know march madness so i think she's going to win her first group which means that i think there's going to be another three or four like stages of voting so we're in a capricornian marathon with uh miss la bliss and not a sprint so we'll we'll continue to check in and try to give her a little updraft along the way we got we got her i think we got her past the first round, which is good. Now she's got a a puncher's chance, as they say. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little bit of... uh, Let me log in here. Let me see the post. Let's talk a little true hemp science. Somebody asked me yesterday if I, I get tired talking about true hemp science, and I don't. And I'll tell you the reason why I don't. Number one, it is a product that is helpful for people. So I have no problem helping other people's lives get better. By the way, I found out today in the, uh, this Bazi thing that, uh, I am called my my I guess in Bazi, which is this Chinese system, I am the chief. And it kind of fits, actually. It kind of fits because the description of the chief says that the chief has the uh, the the welfare of the tribe, you know, at, at heart. That's what the chief does. The chief is committed to the welfare of the tribe, which is true, by the way. And so when I see something like this, I'm like, Chief think hemp good. Chief thinks CBD good. Chief, recommend it to people. And that's how I feel about it. It's good stuff. Chris is a good dude. You know, I've I've known Chris Christopher, call him Christopher. I've known him uh, since 2014, so we're going on eight years now. And I've, I've seen him really try to get this hemp world kind of under his feet and run with it. I remember, God, it must have been about maybe five years ago, um, I did a, I did a reading with him and his business partner, and he had this business partner in texas and he was like robert can you do a thing with you know for us because this guy's this guy's got you know great fucking hemp but you know he's kind of spooked and because i think that they had kind of changed that, like it wasn't as open as it is now so i yeah i did a reading for the two of them and try to you know align the stars a little bit so they can work together, but that didn't really work out. The guy had other vested interests and other people wanted to use his land for something different. So that didn't really work out. So I've known Christopher trying to do this for a while now. So I think it's, it's great that he can, you know, kind of get his feet underneath him and build the business. So all boats rise, right? All boats rise, your health gets better. His business grows. You know, I have an affiliate relationship with him. So he's uh, a sponsor of the show. It helps the show. Everything works together, right? There's a synergy there. The tribe gets stronger. Uh, So if you spend $100 or more, uh, you'll get $20 worth of product thrown in with your product. And you can just go to truehemscience.com. That's truehemscience.com. You got that little backslash, R-E-F and another little backslash 23. So if you're listening on the podcast side of things, real simple, truehampscience.com backslash ref, backslash 23. And then when you check out the magic code is 15 mins 15 the number in M-I-N-S, you can go caps. And that'll uh, let Chris know that uh, you're coming through this portal and you'll get your, your goodies, your sorted goodies. All right, so let's go, go to Chatoria. Let's go to Chatoria, shall we? Let's go to Chatoria. Let's see who's in the house. Who's in his house? Okay, we got uh, we got Sony. Let's see, let me go all the way to the top scrolling 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 keep them fingers scrolling dj mike what's going on brother good to see you Catherine kramer good morning i need some advice i had to watch yesterday's show this morning because i couldn't get robert show to load on 50 minutes flame is there another place i should go you can go to rumble uh there's also the boxcast link and thanks for linking that michael tj what's going on brother tom good to see you empath is here Morning, morning, Michael. Miss Nikia. a chartarian, showing up. Uh, who else? Beth Berry, double B. There's my man, Ryan. Ryan. Garrett Brooks. Morning, Garrett. There's Fran. Always lovely to see Fran. Hi, Cece. How are you? Wendy says the beautiful one is here. Casting her love and charm amongst us. Kelly B. What's going on, Kelly? Scorpio girls in the house. Equicentric. Good Wotan's Day, everybody. I know, right? It is. There's Susie, the sea goddess. Checking in from the Sunshine State. Also, it's California, by the way. Uh, who else do we have? Oh, check this out. Uh, equicentric who is always on it, and posts the comment at 9 11 a.m. Did anyone notice that the new Westworld season, episode one, began with the Hoover Dam? Ooh. Telling Hucklebuck411, affirming that it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Let's see. Who else do we have? I should have named Susie the Seagoat, since Capricorn is my sun sign. You should have, but I I think I started off with calling you Susie the Sea Dragon, didn't I? Or Susie the Sea Monster or something like that. You can always change. You don't you don't have to be attached to your moniker. We're we're, you know, we're into uh, moniker and handle fluidity here. So if you want to be a seagoat, go ahead. Go ahead. We'll recognize your seagoat status. Let's see. Who else do we have? Yes, it is Ambrosia. Uh, Where are you? Great show. Hey, Painfully. I'm here. Thank you for the show. You know, I was thinking about yesterday's show and I, it's always interesting when you get into like the source code of biology and try to make these connections as to why we've evolved or how we've evolved and like the social programming around it, especially when 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 it veers off into sexuality, estrogens, uh, estrogen testosterone, uh, what else? Uh, the uh, the uh, xenoestrogens. I mean, all that stuff, right? And then and then ultimately, that journey takes us into the altering of sex and the altering of sex identity, really. From what it appears to be a very programmed, it um, specific set of parameters, and and so when I when I talk about what I talked about yesterday, by no means am I slamming the people who have con- gone down this path, because if the if it's true, like if what I was talking about. And uh, the uh, the research from Italy and the the peer review material around fructose and glucose uh, in the liver, creating the lipids, which alters the, the protein that actually controls testosterone and estrogen. If that stuff is true, then people are a byproduct of that type of programming, right? It is a bio, bio biogenetically engineered program. And in a lot of ways, they're, I don't want to use the word victim, but they're on the downstream effect of these things that alter us. And we're being altered all the time, all the time. And that's just one vector. So I'm not coming out and saying, you know, these, these people are bad or defective, or I'm just making notes and sh- trying to show how this thing has gotten this far and why it has, it's, it is starting to reach these crescendo-like numbers. Because if you go back and look at the vaccine schedule, which is what the, the, the researcher from Italy was doing, he said, look, we're going to be dealing with huge numbers in about a generation. And we're close to that, right? I mean, this thing starts in 1985. uh, And then here we are in 2022. You know, three years, that's going to be, what, 40. That's a generation. We're a generation in. This is exactly what he was talking about. And it's what we're seeing. But it's gotten to this point now where it's just going off the rails. Like It's it's like they've created, I'll use the Gollum symbol again. They've created this kind of biological Gollum and it's morphed, it's mutated and picked up on this whole like critical theory and cultural Marxism that has morphed and, and, kind of melded itself into this sociopolitical gender-based dysphoria. And things are getting really weird. So I was reading the story this morning before the show. And there was a lesbian bar that opened in Portland. I think it was called Doc Marie's. And within two weeks, they had to close. Do you know why they had to close? Because even though they wanted to create a safe space for their fellow fella, lesbians, their sisters, the staff, the people that they hired. Kept looking at what they weren't doing. Right. They were accused of cultural appropriation. They were accused of being, uh, not consciously aware enough of how they were treating the staff. And within two weeks, the staff had made, along with other members of that very specific part of their community, not the entire lesbian or or gay, gay woman community, they had made so many crazy demands to the point where they demanded that the business be given over to them. That was that that was where their demands reached this crazy crescendo. And the women who started this bar, they had to shut it down. They had to close their business because this just bizarre mutation has. It's like it's they've seized, the, they, they've gotten through the palace walls, right? The Trojan horse has managed to get past the palace walls. And now you're going to see this massive infighting going on because you have like older guard, what I would call older guard gay women, uh, older guard lesbians, or older guard like gay men, gay culture, and then you have this kind of radical imposition of this new guard, which is hardcore trans and way more radical, way more radical than the kind of first wave, second wave, maybe third wave. Like like these people now have nothing in common with like what happens post Stonewall. This is really radical. And so you're going to see this kind of infighting going on now. And there is a, a, a viral TikTok video that busted loose yesterday. And it was an older gay woman, lesbian. And she was talking about how she vigorously fought for the rights of gay men, gay women. And now she's seeing where this thing has taken a very hard left turn. And she's absolutely and utterly ashamed of what she's done. Let me see if I can play it for you. I'm gonna to try, try to find it. I'm um, talking about Byer's remorse. Holy shit! Yeah, here it is. So awesome. here it is. I'm gonna play this for you. So we're gonna we're gonna see this really odd and unusual split in these in these worlds where allies or supposed allies will no longer be supposed allies. Let me see if I can play this thing. So this went viral yesterday. Let me see if I can get this off my uh, computer. Hold on. Or off my uh, chat. Yep. All right. Cool. So, this is the woman I was talking about. Let me put my headphones on. I want to hear what she has to say.
2: So here it is, the most unpopular opinion I'll ever do. I hope you guys duet and stitch and save or whatever you need to do to this because it's going to get down fast. If I would have understood when I was younger that fighting for my rights as a lesbian would mean Allowing children to drag shows, attaching child molesters to our community, and allowing children to change their sex before they even know what their favorite color is, I would have never done it. Never.
1: So there you go. Thanks. Thanks to uh, Dr. Joan for sending that to me. Um, Buyer's remorse. We're going to start to see a lot more of it, you know, buying a program, whatever the program is, the buyer's remorse. We're going to have a massive amount of planets going retrograde, which I think is going to kick in this uh, buyer's remorse program. And um, that's just, that's just one iteration, one flavor. Right, so you're gonna because we're we're watching the fractalization of these movements take place. I mean, you can even see it in the truth movement. It's it's a different kind of iteration, but you'll have some people who will be somewhere like on the Alex Jones spectrum, and they'll they'll they like Alex Jones a little bit, right? Oh yeah, you know he's funny. He talks about some interesting things, but then they'll say, well, he's a he's a gatekeeper. And then you'll have other people who are all in on Alex Jones from day one. He's changed my life. He's woken me up. And that'll be part of it. So, I mean, we can kind of see that. And then sometimes these things will clash a little bit. I was watching that actually uh, yesterday uh, with uh, Tim Pool. He had Alex Stein on. And Alex Stein and Tim Pool got into kind of a heated debate about the moon landing. And Alex Stein just thinks it's it's you know bogus that, that we did not go to the moon. And Tim Poole, he's, Tim Pool's a little naive. Either that or he's a shell. Anyway, uh, buyer's remorse is happening now, and we people. These the people who have been invested in a particular lifestyle, in everything that goes along with that lifestyle, they're seeing now. That what they've done is they've they've promoted ultimately, this, you know, this Frankenstein monster of that lifestyle, and now they want no part of it. Like in some ways, and to their credit, I would say that they realize they have blood on their hands. They have blood. How how you go about, you know, standing up for your rights and and trying to advocate them without falling prey to ultimately being preyed upon and being vulnerable and having this parasitical agenda attach itself to you. Well, that's, that's a talk for a bigger discussion and another time, which I do want to talk about, by the way, at some point, you know, I do at some point, I do want to get into this whole idea of reincarnation and the soul trap and how we let this parasitic system suck us dry. And then even after we leave our bodies, it's there waiting for us to suck us dry again. Not today. That's a much deeper topic and a much deeper conversation, but I do want to get into it. I may even devote a whole week to it where we just look at this whole idea of karma, reincarnation, the soul trap a long time ago. I disabused myself of the notion of karma long time ago. That doesn't mean that I'm not responsible for what I do. Of course, of course, energetically, there is a relationship between the things that you do and the things that you don't do for better or worse. You will see that there, there is an energetic output from that, but it's not necessarily karma or karmic in the way that we understand or know it. You know, what would be the point of basically coming back here again and again and again when you're wiped and you don't remember anything? Like, we're supposed to learn things and then, you know, graduate. And I do believe that, but what we're supposed to learn and what we're supposed to graduate to, I think, is a little bit different. And then the whole reincarnation piece Which I do believe. I do believe. I believe I've been here before. There's clear examples where people have memories that they should not have. There, you know, there was a famous case of a boy who remembered the very vivid details of him being a fighter pilot in World War II, names and everything. Like, there's no way this kid should have known that stuff. No, he was like six years old, seven years old. And they were able to track down all these details, and it's all pre-internet, too. So you didn't go online and go, Oh, let me do this. Let me deep fake people. So it happens, right? We get we come back, but I feel like that ultimately it's it's a trap, and that our real goal here is to get the fuck out of here. As much as the place is beautiful and has some wonderful things to offer including companionship. And there are things that we can learn here, but the idea is to take them with you and keep them with you. So that when, wherever you go after this, you're not giving it up and you're not getting zapped with a fucking memory wipe. And then you have to come back, Jack, do it again. We'll turn it round and round, right? That's not what it's supposed. That's not how it's supposed to be. Your job is to find escape velocity and get the fuck out of here. And if you want to come back, if you want to come back, you can come back in a very different kind of way. And maybe you can come back through a different gate so that you're not part of this arconic matrix, which is really what it is. And, you, and, I, and I do believe you can find the most tie through the arconic matrix. You can find God through the Archonic Matrix. That's not that's not a problem. Well, it's maybe a bit harder than you might think, but also might be easier than you might think too. All right, let me get back into chat. And let's get on with the, today's show here. Uh, let's see who else we have. Whole world thinks Americans are all perverts, worthy of death. You know, painfully, that's part that is part of the plan, isn't it? It's part of the. ritual sacrifice of this country i mean it is it is the ultimate ritual sacrifice right we they build this thing up they build it up they build it up they build it up you know whether it's um you know the positive side of things like you know statue of liberty light into the world give me your you're tired, sick, huddled masses, and all that shit, right? And people come here and then they actually have a quote unquote fighting chance, a puncher's chance, because the other parts of the world where they come from, uh maybe not so great. Right. So there's that, the American dream. And that's that's part of the building up part, that's part of the expansion. And then there is the you know, the ultimate kind of act of desecration and perversion. And I remember when 9-11 happened and post-9-11, the thing that really pissed me off, really fucking pissed me off was Abu Ghraib. Because I knew that that was intentional. I knew that everything that they were doing with Abu Ghraib and even the pictures getting out was intentional. And it's a microcosm of sort of this building up process because post 9-11, you know, the world has some sympathy for America for the first fucking time in a long time. Well, that went away pretty quick, didn't it? Once they started to see those pictures and once they realized that uh, George Bush was complete and utter moron and was being, you know, played like a puppet on a strings by Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld and all the fucking neocons. Anybody with half a brain could see that. People outside of the United States could see that. So all of that compassion and empathy just burned. So it's part of a big ritual. It's part of this big ritual where ultimately the country is sacrificed. The ideal is sacrificed whether it's the Washington Monument or Hoover Dam or New York City, the Twin Towers, right? There are events potentially in our future that represent the fall and that it's a sacrifice for the new world order. Like America has to fall in order for the new world order to have its um, day in the sun. So the building up of the ill will towards the country uh, is utterly intentional. And painfully, you're spot on with that. Great comment. What's going on, Jake? Gucci to goater? Rue 9 is in the house. Freudian slip? Maybe. uh let's see apparently robin i apologize i did not know that you were that out of sorts physically for such a long period of time so i'm glad you're back i'll play i'll play a song for you tomorrow i'll play well maybe not tomorrow tomorrow i may do something completely different but i will play a song for you robin maybe i'll play at the end of the show Kind of a, kind of a Rue nine, a Rue nine number. Maybe I'll do that. We got to, we got to take care of our peeps. The chief knows that his peeps got to stay healthy, happy, and wise. That is my commitment to you. Uh, Let's see who else we have here. Lionsgate is here. Hey, Chris and Steve. The Crimmy's. Like Nectar better than Ambrosia. Steve's an old Prague guy. I don't think Chris would say that. Um, yeah, you know, it's a different scene. You know, it's a German, it's a German thing. I think the first Nectar record is is interesting. Good. I'm not getting the wheeze with Nectar, but you know, Ambrosia comes out of LA. I mean, it's an LA sound, LA scene. You have the LA studios. You know, pretty much, you know, all these guys who are fucking gearheads. And in Germany, you have Connie Plank, amongst others. But Connie Plank, interesting character. All right, who else do we have? Uh, Let's see. Ambrosia is a custard in the UK. Did not know that. This chat room. Love King Crimson. Court of the Crimson King is a great song. Hey man, is that Yacht Rock? We'll turn it up. <laughs> hey Chad, good to see you. Uh, where's the French Bulldog? The French Bulldog left. The French Bulldog was just an overnight boarder. Cute little dog, right? He was right here for most of the show, and then uh, the couch is slightly off the ground, so then he was under the couch for a while. He actually uh, took a little shit on the floor in the morning. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. It wasn't runny or anything. Right. And he's a little dog. So it wasn't like it was a huge thing. And thankfully, I didn't clean it up. So he had a responsible owner, but cute little guy. I like that little dog. Yoshi. Uh, You're the only woman is a good song. I like yeah, Ambrose has got the voices, man. They got the. Uh, Jasper is. Jasper is in rehabilitation. Jasper will be back. I promise you. He'll be back. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy repopularized songs from bands like 10CC. Yeah, the soundtrack, Guardians of the Galaxy, great. Uh, Miss Nakia, thanks for the, uh, for the congrats. Um, the Orville. You know, I actually like episodes of The Orville. I thought they were pretty good. I saw a few. Jasper is a ginger. He is. I totally he is. Um, Chris and Steve bring up a really interesting point. If Biden of inequity signs the emergency environmental order today, could justify anything? Yeah, we are so uh, close there on that, aren't we? I'll try to touch in on that. Johnny Cruz. Passes some wisdom along. The fastest way to achieve your goals is to help others reach theirs. Couldn't agree more. Nicely said, JC. Uh, how can we help you, Johnny? Look at that. Salt Lake is two-thirds down. Wow. That is big. Jasper wants something. He wants Rosie back, I think. Dabisu's here. What's going on, the Dabisu. Painfully, with another clear and prescient comment, any natural disaster will delay midterms. That is true. Absolutely. Uh, She's printing art in between chats, so don't mind me the coming and going. You can come and go as you like. Kelly... Dated a guy with the last name Greenleaf. His nickname was Chief Greenleaf. So glad I didn't stick with. Uh, glad I didn't stick with that one though. Chief, Chief is. Do you, you know he used to call me Chief? Oh my God! What? Um, oh. I have to figure it out. Hold on. Let's see. I think we're good. All right. Do we do we get in? Maurice is here. What's going on, Maurice? Look at it. he said I quit watching House of Cards episode 37. Enough of that world for me. It's too it's too it's too much like what we're going through. Who needs that kind of reality when we have this kind of so called reality? Sarah, you missed the good stuff. No, you're here. You're fine. You're doing fine. Uh, let's see. Who else? We got anybody else? Here's my man, Steve. What's going on? Mr. Thor. So we, we have a really good lineup of people. Anna Sophia, what's going on? Checking in. Hi, Anna Sophia. Hope you and your gifted girl are doing well. JJ's here, which reminds me, Tom, Tom told me to tell people that you have a deal going on. And I want to thank Tom for reminding me. So JJ, who is apparently um, playing gypsy here, has a deal. Let me see if I can find her tweet. There it is. So she has a two-day sale going on. And if you wanted to uh, support Dom Rain DeBlanc, you can uh, help her out with her sale. She says, I'm doing a two-day sale, 15% off everything with free shipping. Use coupon code JULY15 at the checkout. So uh, right there, let's go to her website. Do a little... Well, JJ love, and this is the Rain de Blanc brand. Custom orders and alterations. My, my. Rain de Blanc creation every single day. Right there. So there you go. Hope that fuels your journey, JJ, in more ways than one. Okay. Let's get into it. Let's talk about let's, the Greenwood thing. Is really weird. I want to talk. I want to leave enough time to talk about Hoover Dam. I might do a part two on Hoover Dam tomorrow because there's so much fucking there with Hoover Dam. Or not, because if Lake Mead or Lake Puddle or Puddle Mead, which is what the, I think Steve Crimmy was. Um, I guess fondly calling it, um, if it does dry up, why have Hoover Dam anymore? Yeah, why? So we'll get into that a little bit today. Um, Let's talk about this, this Greenwood Mall shooting. It's fucking weird. And I'll tell you why it's weird. stories here um let's see here we go so this dude um elijah dickinson who helped shut this thing down basically averted a false flag And I just need to bring it up again. I have to bring it up. He averted a false flag. And yet they are still trying to run with the fact that the supposed shooter, who, by the way, is meeting a very specific criterion that these other so-called shooters are also exhibiting. And I'll go through that. So let's look at this. This is, this is one of those stories where the Matrix gets hacked. So look at, okay, look at the headline here. This is important. Indiana mall shooter used AR-style rifle targeted by proposed assault weapons ban. The headline is not about the guy that stopped him. So they are trying desperately to use this event as psychic momentum, psychic, psychological, and emotional momentum to push this thing through. Officials identified the suspect in the Greenwood Park Mall shooting as Jonathan Douglas Sapperman, 20, and the man who fatally shot him as uh, Elijah Dickin, 22. So let's play this, little, this clip, and then let's get into this a little bit more. Hold on. We need some volume here, don't we?
2: An armed with a handgun shot the gunman and ended the chaos.
0: Many more people would have died last night if not for a responsible armed citizen
2: Investigators tonight naming that Good Samaritan as Elijah Dickin, a 22-year-old Indiana man who's declining to speak publicly. They say the Good Samaritan was legally carrying a handgun at the Greenwood Park Mall with his girlfriend when around 5 p.m. Sunday, the 20-year-old gunman entered the food court, armed with two semi-automatic rifles and a handgun. Investigators say he first went to the restroom and stayed for an hour stashing his phone in a toilet, then emerged and started firing.
1: We heard loud gunshots.
2: They say the gunman killed three, including Victor Gomez, and injured two, among them a 12-year-old girl. i seen somebody laying on the ground, and I just grabbed my kids, and we ran. Authorities say the armed bystander confronted and killed the shooter immediately, a rare outcome amid this kind of carnage. Researchers who study active shooter events tracked 464 attacks between 2000 and 2021. In 73 cases, a bystander stopped the shooter, mostly by subduing them physically. The number of times a bystander shot the shooter, 24.
1: This young man acted within seconds stopping the shooter and saving countless lives.
2: No word on the gunman's motive in this case, but authorities said his family told them he'd recently left his job and been evicted. His family declined to comment.
1: Okay, so let's just go through this a little bit. Look at what they have the lead with. The Spectre gunman in the Indiana Mall mass shooting carried two AR-style rifles. Who else had two AR-style rifles? Our boy Ramos. In Uvalde, two AR-style rifles, a pistol. He also had a pistol, and more than 100 rounds of ammo, authority said Monday. And the Good Samaritan, it's interesting that they choose the word Good Samaritan phrase, who fairly shot him is credited with saving countless lives. Three people were killed at the Greenwood Park Mall outside of Indianapolis on Sunday. Two others were injured, and the gunman is also dead. Suspected shooter was identified by officials as Jonathan Douglas Sapperman of Greenwood. Sapperman entered the Greenwood Park Mall and went into a restroom uh, near the food court at 4.54 p.m. on Sunday, Greenwood Police Chief Jim Ison said Monday. Now, this is weird, right? Sapperman stayed in the bathroom for 62 minutes, then exited and began firing near and into the mall's food court with a Sig Sauer M400, a semi-automatic rifle of a class of guns, sometimes called assault weapons, authorities said. The victims were identified as husband and wife, Pedro Pineda, 56, Rosa Miriam Rivera de Pineda, 37, both of Indianapolis, and Victor Gomez, 30 of Indianapolis, Elijah Dickin, 22, Seymour, Indiana, was at the mall shopping with his girlfriend, saw the shooter, and within minutes of Sapperman first opening fire, returned fire with a handgun and killed Sapperman. His actions were nothing short of heroic. But you see, that's not the story. He, that's not the lead the lead is everything that they want you to know and learn about his rifle, the air 15 or it's clones. Here we go. Rob elementary and Evaldi, right? So what happened here is that this false flag got scuttled. Now they can turn chicken shit into chicken salad and say, well, wasn't that handgun effective? Why do you need to have an assault rifle? There could be that, but that's not the that's not the the dialogue or the, the debate that we're hearing. So when you look at and I haven't done a deep dive on this sapperman character, but he fits a bit of a profile. If you look at um, the shooter from Buffalo. Uh, The shooter from Evaldi and the shooter from uh, Highland Park. They're all between the age of 20 and 22. And there is probably at least one or two video games that I would assume that they're both, that they're all playing uh, online. And one is Assassin's Creed and the other one is called Call of Duty. They're both first-person shooter games. And I believe those games are monitored because there's a lot of online play. That those games are monitored. And there are people who are monitoring those games who find that there are young people who are very adept at shooting and killing people in those first-person shooter games. And then they begin to connect with them through chats on Discord or on Twitch or wherever they're surfacing their online play because this is, this is what happens. And then once they're connected, they start to have this communication and they are, for all intents and purposes, being groomed. Now, my sense is, is that what happened in that bathroom was that guy, Sapperman, had hesitancy you don't hang out in a fucking bathroom for over an hour without like trying to wrap your head around the fact that you're going to go out there with these two rifles nobody knows how we bought them right there's a whole other backstory and then go out and start firing on people He had some program going on in his head where he was not down with the program, right? That's what was happening. Somebody was on the phone with him, texting him, maybe talking, probably texting. And this is something that's concurrent with, with Ramos for sure. And um, uh, was his name Peyton Gedron from Buffalo. They were both having like intense discussions with somebody on a Discord channel. And Sapperman fits the profile. He totally fits the profile. So what we're theoretically witnessing now when you get into you know the crazy crymo kid, that shit is just so weird. Like is, is there the online component where he's playing these games? Sure. Like, I think there's records of him playing Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed. Uh, but that story is really fucking weird. Like, there's so much high strange around. I mean, to the point where they get R. Kelly's lawyer to represent. Like, who the fuck does that? And, and the husband doesn't even have his, you know, sandwich shop anymore. And the whole weird backstory with this, uh, the whole thing is just so fucking weird. And he's alive, by the way. He's alive. I guess the guy from Buffalo, Peyton Gedren's alive, but the other two aren't. Supposedly Ramos is dead. Um, so this kid scuttled their thing. He foiled a fucking plan because one of their little shooter groomers are groomer shooters, groom shooters, had about an hour's worth of hesitancy. Think about that for just a moment. If he goes into that bathroom, in three minutes in, he's all hyped up on Adderall or whatever, and you know, his handler on Discord is pumping him up. Three minutes in, you know, flips up, gears up, hits the food court, and starts, uh, you know, smoking people. That guy is not there. Elijah Dickens is not there. He is not in that place at that moment. That 62 minute delay allowed Good Samaritan to show up. And apparently, he took him out at, I think, 40 feet. 40 feet with a handgun is pretty impressive. Which means that he knew what he was doing. He knew how to shoot that gun. That somebody had range time. Once you get past like 15 feet, unless you have 15 feet, if you have a a single action revolver where you're pulling the trigger and just bearing down the target, you're pretty good 15 feet, maybe even 20. 40 feet... That's impressive. So just think about the hack of the matrix, that 62 minute interval where that dude was trying to get the nerve. And I'd love to see his cell phone records. They never talk about this shit, do they? Who was he talking to? Who was he texting? What was going on in that bathroom for 62 minutes? Was he brushing his teeth? Was he combing his hair? Did he want to look good before he took all these people out? No, he was fucking scared shitless. And somebody was trying to get him to go out there and pull that trigger. And they finally were able to coerce him to do that, whatever that was about. But by that time, Elijah Dickin was in place and was able to take him out. You could say that was stage two. Why not? You could, I'm not going to, I'm going to lean in and say they fucked up the matrix on that one. Their plans got scuttled. So now they've got to go through all these people who have shown some aptitude with these online games, start to groom them and get them to, you know, move forward and, Somehow convince them to do their dirty work for him. My two cents. All right, um, let's start our discussion about Hoover Dam, and we're going to talk more about Hoover Dam tomorrow because I'm going to. There's a lot to cover here, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a, a video of Hoover Dam, and it's a it's an old newsreel. So it'll give. A, I'm not going to play the whole thing though because it's thirty minutes long. Um, And, you know, it's one of those, you know, kind of rah-rah, look how great America is videos or films from back in the day. So I'm going to play some of it, and uh, I'm going to stop along the way and make some comments. And then what I'm going to do is lay the groundwork for what I think, based on some of these other kind of occult, connections with the hoover dam um what i think they're ultimately trying to do here and will attempt to do all right so let me play this video which i think is pretty interesting and in it's in its own way um let me see if i can find it i got all these tabs i am the uh, master of the open tab Sometimes. Although in this case, this tab should go. Okay. So originally Hoover Dam was called Boulder Dam. They changed the name uh, to uh, rename it after... Uh, Herbert Hoover, one of the great traders of the presidency. So I'm going to start here and I'm going to kind of move around a little bit uh, with the video and um, it'll set the kind of set the foundation for when we come back tomorrow.
0: untold centuries the turbid waters of the colorado river battered their way through the forbidding canyons of its 1700 mile course traversing the arid southwest for the most part little known except to the native indians and a few parties of intrepid explorers draining a vast region of mountain and desert entering seven of the largest western states it poured its waters southward into the gulf of california carrying into its delta a tremendous volume of silt and periodically overflowing the prosperous towns and rich agricultural districts near its mouth with devastating floods. From the time of its discovery, it remained a challenge to engineers who sought to control it, until the enactment in 1928 of the Boulder Canyon Project Act authorizing the construction of Boulder Dam. In Black Canyon, where the Colorado River forms the boundary between Nevada and Arizona, in the very heart of the great desert of the Southwest, The United States Department of the Interior, through its Bureau of Reclamation, was directed to proceed with the construction of this mightiest of dams. Highways were pushed across the desert. Railroad lines thrust their ribbons of steel through the sagebrush and cactus. And transmission lines for construction power were brought hundreds of miles across the heat-stricken wastelands of the southern Nevada desert. Every section of the country was called upon to contribute to the staggering quantity and wide diversity of materials required. Thousands of tons of steel, millions of barrels of cement, machinery, gasoline, and oil, by the thousands of gallons, tools, building materials, all these and much more were concentrated.
1: So I want you to pay attention here and look at how advanced the world is in the 1920s. Just pay attention here. Look at, look at this relay and power station. I mean, the, the interesting thing is that we really haven't changed much from that, have we? Pretty advanced. Look at the machinery here. Like creating these things is not easy. Right. You've got to get like perfect edges and, and I mean, so the lathing work, the machining work, even the equipment to make this stuff is really advanced. Like this is not easy shit to make
0: barrels of cement, machinery, gasoline, and oil, but the-
1: look at that. I mean, if I told you, I, I drove down to um, you know, Amarillo or whatever, Midland, and I used a uh, black and white frame or black and white filter in my my uh, cell phone cam. And took this picture. You would say, "Oh yeah, sure." Yeah. So we're dealing with just right out of, right out of the chute for this period of time. I think fairly advanced technology. Just saying. If you're listening. What we're looking at here is a series of what looks like propane tanks uh, and a, uh, uh, a variety of, of pipes uh, and release valves and storage tanks. Um, it could be like either a refinery or hold. So, But it's very, it's very, very sophisticated. So I'm just trying to give you an idea about the degree of technology here that is available at this time. It's significant.
0: The thousands of gallons, tools, building materials, all these and much more were concentrated at the site of operations in an endless stream. The engineering forces completed their surveys, working under the most hazardous conditions, and every union furnished its quota of laborers and artisans. In what had once been an uninhabited waterless desert, Supporting only a sparse, inhospitable growth of chaparral and cactus, the beautiful little town of Boulder City was built within the short space of 15 months to house the army of 5,000 men to be employed. Here was no construction camp such as was known in the early days of the West. Instead, Boulder City was developed as a model town, furnishing every facility and convenience to its inhabitants. Four churches, a modern, fully equipped school and various civic organizations met the cultural requirements of the community, while a theater and several clubs furnished recreation. A thriving business section developed along the principal streets, while pleasant homes surrounded by gardens faced the broad tree-lined residential avenues of this modern, spotless town. The buildings housing the offices of the Bureau of Reclamation and the Civic Administration, which operated directly under the federal government, were set in the midst of pleasant parks. ...which were welcome havens of rest after the day's labors in a country where the summer temperature often reaches hundred and twenty-five degrees above zero. In the business section of the town, arcades formed a protection against the tropic sun. Lovely flower gardens bloomed in marked contrast with the surrounding desert. Lining street after street, the white cottages of the married workmen recalled to mind the military camps of 1918... ...while single men were housed in air-cooled dormitories each accommodating 176 occupants. Under conditions which would have gained the wholehearted approval of any modern housewife, tons of food were prepared and served daily in the sanitary, electrically-equipped kitchens. A corps of cooks and waiters was able to feed as many as 1,300 men at one setting of the tables. Menus were varied, and the food was of excellent quality. As Boulder City was about seven miles distant from the dam site, it was necessary to provide transportation for the workmen to and from the job. This was accomplished by a fleet of passenger motor trucks.
1: Okay, what's really interesting is all that big, heavy equipment, like the, the making of the, these massive wheels, you're going to see turbines, uh, the, the refinery action, the electrical action, all that stuff is super advanced. But their cars are shit. I mean, they look like old fucking cars. It, it, it's, a, it's a weird disparity. It's a really weird disparity. Anyway, I just, just, just to notice. All right, so here we go.
0: Some of them carrying as many as 160 men.
1: That looks real safe, doesn't day it?
0: The was divided into three shifts of eight hours each for all classes of labor. The 4th of July, Labor Day, and Christmas were the only holidays observed. Once, the rapid tempo of the ambitious construction schedule was established and underway toward the marking of a record-breaking achievement in American engineering history. It was in March 1931 that six companies incorporated of San Francisco, California, was awarded the general contract for the construction of the project.
1: So March, I believe the inception date was 322, which we know is the skull and bones number, which is the same day that they erected the Georgia Guidestones, right? 322. I'm almost certain that this is the day in March that they, they pulled it all together. So remember that number, keep that in mind.
0: project, including Boulder Dam and its appurtenant works. And by early summer of the same year, preliminary construction work was in full swing in Black Canyon. During this early period of construction, before roads had been built into the depths of the gorge, men and materials were forced to take to boats or travel the catwalks, often swung between the sheer walls of the canyon at dizzy heights above the muddy waters of the world's most dangerous river. It was not long before roads and rail lines had penetrated into the very lowest reaches of the canyon. To provide these arteries of transportation, thousands of tons of virgin rock were blasted from the age-old walls of the gorge. Thus, the first thunders of man's determination to conquer the Colorado River reverberated between the sheer cliffs of the canyon, which heretofore had known only the hot silence of the desert and the roar of the river's angry floods. The boring of four diversion tunnels to carry the stream around the dam site during construction, two on each side of the river, 56 feet in diameter and averaging 4,000 feet in length, constituted the first major construction operation. The drilling jumbos used on this job were mounted on motor trucks to facilitate handling and were capable of driving from 24 to 30 powder holes into the heading simultaneously by means of drifter drills. The tunnels were excavated through the rock simultaneously from four headings, one at either end and two boring in opposite directions from a river-level auxiliary tunnel located about midway on the main bore. A pioneer drift was drilled at top line and closely followed by the excavation for the complete 56-foot bore. Thousands of tons of drilled steel were used in this work, and the sharpening shops were kept working at top speed night and day to maintain a steady supply. After the powder holes had been drilled and the rock blasted, power shovels and trucks moved into the tunnels for the purpose of removing the shattered material. An unbroken parade of heavy-duty trucks, each handling from eight to ten tons of rock, labored up over the steep roads cut into the canyon walls.
1: So this is not horse and buggy world. We're not in horse and buggy world here. This is, this is a serious endeavor. Okay, so we have about eight minutes left in the show. Let me move forward here because it's actually a pretty fascinating video. Uh, in and of itself right and they and they get very deep into the actual uh, placement of things like turbines and and uh, and you can see the construction like a lot of other great structures supposedly that we don't see any construction footage there's plenty of construction footage here for the Hoover dam formerly the Boulder dam and you can see what's happening now what's interesting is, so I can find the right the right piece here. All right, here it is right here. Moving ahead.
0: The reservoir filling behind the dam was named Blake Mead in memory of Dr. Elwood Mead, late commissioner of reclamation, whose life work culminated in the building of Boulder Dam. The largest artificial body of water in the world, It extends upstream 115 miles into the lower reaches of the Grand Canyon, with a shoreline of 550 miles opening upon vistas unglimpsed by man until invaded by the gradually rising waters of the reservoir. Equipped with cylindrical gates, which function as giant valves, the four intake towers serve as inlets to the four steel penstocks, supplying water to the turbines and outlet valves. Perched on shelves hewn into the canyon walls, they tower 403 feet, to an elevation above the crest of the dam and the rim of the canyon. With a combined capacity of 400,000 cubic feet of water per second, the two spillways, located one on each side of the canyon upstream from the dam, will serve as high-level controls once the water of the reservoir has risen to its maximum storage elevation. Each spillway is equipped with four 100-foot drum gates. and Developments in the power transmission field are to be found. From
1: Hold on, let's come back here.
0: ...when operating at its rated capacity. The first generator was placed in operation on September 11th,
1: 1936. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The first generator was placed into operation on 9/11, 1936. So we have this inception date for the Hoover Dam, then known as the Boulder Dam, on 322. And then the power, the, the first generator, is basically sunk and wired up on 9-11. So that's just the beginning of this kind of esoteric assemblage around the Hoover Dam, which we're going to get into more tomorrow. Um, There's a reason why I uh, have this as the background. You can, it's also the, uh, I'll just bend over here. See that? See that? What does that look like? It's also the uh, uh, thumbnail. It is an image of a woman. If you look at the Hoover Dam, it has two legs, right? And then the dam wall is like where the uterus would be and where the waters would break. This is this is all part of the design. We're going to get into more of this. Um, it's very specific what they, what they were doing here. Oops. With uh, the Hoover Dam, you go back. Where did I go? There I am. Um, so we will get into more of this tomorrow. And there's there's like timeline placements, alignments with the with the Pole Star. Like there's there's these crazy angels, these kind of dark angels that look over Hoover Dam. So we're gonna tomorrow will be the big Hoover Dam rabbit hole. So stay stay tuned for that. All right, I got to be a good chief, and I got to play. I got to play a song for uh, my man Robin. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart, as open as possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Be back here tomorrow, and uh, we'll dive into Hoover Dam, the esoteric dive right here.